the Bringing Home the Euros podcast, live on Anchor and Spotify. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Bringing Home the Euros podcast. Today we will review the first four round of 16 matches, look ahead to the already decided quarterfinals and of course preview England against Germany. The boys will also take on the famous Euros quiz later today at the end of the episode so make sure to stick around for that. So we're going to start today by talking about Wales against Denmark. It was, of course, 4-0 Denmark. And uh, we were just discussing it there before we started recording. It's a shocking performance from Wales, wasn't it, Rory? Honestly, absolutely terrible. I didn't. I wasn't expecting Wales to win. I do think Denmark are a strong side. But when you're coming up against the Denmark side that are missing their two best attackers, you just need to show a little bit more fight than Wales did. They looked tired. They didn't look like they really wanted to be there. And they were completely played off the park for eight, for the last 80 minutes of the game. As, as I said, uh, second worst before. I said last episode, worst performance was Slovakia. That was a close second for me. Yeah, Andrew, you agree with that, don't you? Yeah, 100%. I thought for the first half an hour, Wales had some fight in them. But after that, it, it was really all Denmark. And what sort of rubbed insult in the, into the wounds, if, if you're a Welsh fan, is the fourth goal was actually disallowed and VAR went back and allowed it. Uh, Martin Braithwaite, Middlesbrough legends goal. Um, you see, there's that video of Gareth Bale where he's behind the referee. And he's looking at the screen and he realises that it's his goals and he goal and he just goes, Oh, F off. You see him in the background. That video is going round because because that goal was that was disallowed. And you know, um, and then even the sending off after that. Um it was all I can say is Denmark deserve it. And you know, what what a team, what a team they are. They've shown great spirit ever since what happened to Ericsson to you know come back and come back in the tournament the way that they have after losing the first game. And I, I think <laughs> they could very well be in the semi-finals. Yeah. Dom, Denmark had 16 attempts to the 11 of the Wales side. Are you shocked that Wales didn't try to get forward a lot more with the attacking quality they do have? Well, not so much. that they, I don't think it was the case they didn't try. I don't think they had enough of the ball to get forward. I think Denmark kept possession really well. And when they did have chances, Wales, they, they tend to fluff their lines a little bit. I think Denmark um, dropped back really well and did a really good job of keeping Gareth Bale parked out on the wing where he couldn't do as much damage because he couldn't really... I know he had that early chance where he sort of sliced the ball um, when he shot from, from out wide. But apart from that, he was very quiet and didn't really manage to get into any threatening positions in the middle. So I, I don't think it was the case that Wales... Um, you know, could have got forward more. I think it's it's just that Denmark really limited their chances, um, and you know, with the with the chances they had, they didn't do a great deal. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Bale there because that was going to be my next question for Cal. It was it was mentioned in the game by the commentators that 
Wales probably had the two best players on the pitch in Bale and Ramsey, and neither of them were able to do anything. Do, do you think that was just the quality of Denmark in being able to suppress them, or they just didn't turn up on the day? Um, I'd say you've got to give credit to Denmark because you know, obviously 4 0 win, you can't just say, well, Wales weren't good enough. No, they weren't, but to win 4 0, you've still got to go out and put on a solid performance. Um, and as, as we've said, Ramsey and Bale, two world class players, but that's all Wales have got really. They need you know more better players around them. So you know Denmark done really well to keep those two quiet. And you keep those two quiet, you keep the whole team quiet. And you know that, that's all Denmark were there to do, and they did that very well, and they've come away with a solid win. Yeah, I was quite surprised when it was mentioned. You know they've got the two best players on the pitch, two world-class players. Gautier, do you call Ramsey a world-class player? I know he plays for a big side, but he hasn't really been around for quite a while now, has he? Uh, I'm not even calling Gareth Bale a world-class player at the moment. Um, sorry for him, but he's not He's not being what he is. He was really good back in the day, no, no doubt about it. But right now, there was there are two great players. Yes, 100% uh, world-class. I wouldn't say that, no. Well, I mean, it was it was certainly a good game to watch if you're a, a Danish fan, um, but not so great if you're Welsh. I'm half Welsh and uh, I didn't even mind it because, you know, uh, when it comes to football, I'm an England fan, uh, which we will get to later. The Bringing Home the Euros podcast. The next game we're going to talk about is Netherlands-Czech Republic. Um, Cal... Last week, you decided it was a certain Netherlands win um, when we were doing our ACA. Any regrets about that decision? No comments. <laughs> um, Andrew was someone who wasn't so sure that it would be an easy Netherlands win. Uh, in fact, you were back in the Czech Republic, weren't you? Yeah, well, I, I think it was a couple of days ago. I've, I've had this conversation with you. I've had it with plenty of your friends. What I called Netherlands in this tournament is pretenders. Soon as they put that, they really weren't that good. Like they've got, to be fair, that you know they've got they've got good players. They do have good players in the squad, but but no better than any of the other um, leading contenders. I thought I thought they had a very generous group, and even then they looked shaky against Ukraine. Nearly threw away a two goal lead. Austria's a good win, so I'll give them that. And North Macedonia, I just think they did what they should have done. Um, but for me, I thought a team where You've got the worst ever Premier League manager in charge. Seven games, seven defeats, zero goals. There, there, there was an end point for Holland. And I did back Czech Republic, but I think that's purely because I pretty much bet on Holland to lose every game this tournament, to be fair, other than, other than the Macedonia one. So I think it was more just stubbornness in having a go against Netherlands. Um, but I really didn't see them as a contender to go all the way. Um, but uh, I thought Dillet obviously changed the game after that. It was a completely different game, but I think uh, Czech Republic deserve a lot of credit. Yeah, something you mentioned there, though, was, you know, Netherlands don't have a better side than any of the other top contenders. Top contenders here, we're talking France, England, Germany, Portugal, Belgium. I mean, a pretty good side to compare them to, really, aren't they? And all right, they don't have the best manager, but Rory, wouldn't you expect those kinds of players to be able to get the job done? It's one, they're one of those sides that they're, they're still in transition a bit, aren't they, really? Like you, They're nowhere near the side they were, what, 
10 years ago when you were watching say the 2010 world cup 2014 world cup that kind of side they're still they're still in transition they're still in development they've not made a bad account of themselves in the tournament they were never going to win it for me i think i'm surprised they lost to the czech republic honestly i didn't think the czech republic looked especially great even in the group stage and i think 2-0 is going to give england a lot of confidence as well in the fact that we've actually beaten them I appreciate, I appreciate it was 1-0, but it did feel fairly comfortable. I think the Netherlands, uh, will that will hurt them a lot. I saw the interview from De Ligt about his um, his challenge. It's, it's, it's hit them quite hard. I think they will probably come back stronger. Yeah. Dom, is, is this the end of the line for De Boer? Uh, I don't know whether it will be, but I think it should be. Um, I think this is a manager who's failed pretty much everywhere he's gone. Uh, and, you know, this is a really... It'll be an embarrassing loss for the Netherlands. I, I've got a close friend who's um, Dutch and, and she was talking about before the tournament and even during the tournament how Frank de Boer is not exactly idolised as manager uh, in the Netherlands. So I think that the, that the fallout from this game, which it's, you know, the Czech Republic are a tough team and they're, they're a good team, but, you know, on paper, it's an embarrassing loss. And I think um, that'll be the way it's received in the Netherlands as well. So I think De Boer is going to be coming under a lot of pressure, not just from higher-ups in the Dutch FA, but also from the general public there as well. So, yeah, I think it probably should be the end for him. Yeah. Would Do you think the game would have been different but for that Dillett red card? Yeah, definitely, because, well, the way the Dutch have been set up, setting up in this tournament is with three at the back, and that's something that they only just recently transitioned into using. Um, and when your your best defender gets sent off, uh, a centre-back as well, and it makes you shift back into a four at the back, which you've not played in for a while and not prepared for games in as well, it's, it's of course, going to you know put you under a bit more pressure and mistakes are more likely to happen. So, yeah, I think it did have a big, a big impact in terms of they had to switch formation and, of course, they've, they've lost a leader as well. But I think that they they weren't playing exactly brilliantly before that sending off anyway. So who's to say with Delict on the field they they would have been any better? Yeah, Rory, was that a red card for you? Because obviously it went to VAR. It was initially a yellow. Uh, I know my answer. I think it's pretty clear, but some people might not be so sure. Yeah, definitely a red. I mean, he's 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 gone down and he's seen that he's thrown on goal and he's taken it out of his way with his hands. I don't think you can really argue with it. I think it's actually a bad decision to not give it as a red initially. But the referee who's got a pretty clear view of what's happening, it's 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 just a really, really stupid challenge because the challenge in itself was bad and then the hands just made it even worse. It's just kind of getting worse and worse for me the more you watch it and the more times you watch it as well, the more stupid it looks. So yeah, definitely a red. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that leaves us then with a uh, quarterfinal of Czech Republic against Denmark, Gautier. Uh, how do you see that one going? Who's Who's got the win there? Uh, in my opinion, it's going to be Denmark. Um, I think that we, we, we underestimate him a lot. In my opinion, I think that um, when you look at the game against Finland, obviously, Kripen goes down. Be hard to come back on the game and win it. Obviously, um, on the second game against Belgium, they did a good game, good first half. Belgium was, they didn't find an answer for the first half, and they need to bring um De Bruyne back in the um, in the second half to find a way to win the game. So, and the last game, obviously, the last two games, four 0 four 0 uh, pretty impressive as well. So, 
really, I think that um, somehow, don't get my word wrong here, but I think that the Christian Renton um, issues helped them in a way, that it really brought them all together and really made this team a lot more, a lot scarier than it was before. I think um, it could, it, they could go, they could go semi-final easily. For me, they are the winners of this game, and um, and why not? Why not even in final? I think they could do something against Germany, especially this Germany side we see um, during the during the group stage, and of course against England as well. I'm glad you did mention England in the end there, um, Andrew. You've got something to say about that? He just said Denmark playing Germany. He did, did mention no, 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 no. I said Germany <laughs> first. They Germany popped up in my head first. Tomorrow. <laughs> they popped up in my head first. I'm, I'm all for England to win tomorrow. I don't want Germany to see Germany. No, I'm joking. Germany. I'm split on the game. We, we might just have to cut that whole speech there from Gautier. Um <laughs> Right, Cal. Um, do you agree with that? Because Denmark so far in this tournament have been fantastic. I completely get what Gautier is saying there about, uh, about the fact that. The, that Christian Eriksen incident, obviously you wouldn't wish it on anyone, but it's gained the team a lot more support from almost every other fan watching the Euros and it's brought the team together even more. They've they've got a why, haven't they? Yeah, you'd say they're probably the, the tournament sweethearts, aren't they? Everyone wants them to do well. If they're not playing against your team, you want to see them do well. Um, but I think you know, we've seen Czech Republic can be a very difficult team. I, I think it's probably going to be a draw in 90 minutes. I'm not sure beyond that, but I think it's going to be a really solid game. I think Denmark will be on top for most of it, um, but I do I do think it's going to be a tough game for, for both teams. Uh, but yeah, as you say, Denmark definitely got that extra bit of team unity, bit of support from you know every neutral fan. Um, so it's definitely going to be you know, almost you know Europe versus Czech Republic in that game, as it will be for you know every game that that Denmark play if they do progress further. The Bringing Home the Euros podcast. Italy, Austria now. Uh, Italy did manage to, I don't know, I don't know whether I can say scrape a win, but uh, it did go to extra time and they won 2-1 in the end. Um, anyone got anything to say about this game in particular? I think that the game was um, pretty even for the most part. I think that Austria really played really well at some point. I, I was I was surprised. I wasn't surprised that they scored um, the first goal in this game. Um, unlucky for them, it was upside, but um, I think it's it's a uh, it's a big defensive mistake by Alaba that cost the game. Really, he should have not gone in um, to follow the the forward um, the striker and to leave his his back like the back like this open. But um, this is the mistake of the game. One mistake cost the whole game. Uh, the rest the rest of the um, actual time they tried to come back. Nice goal, nice header, but. Uh, game was done before that. Yeah, it, it was a really good performance by Austria, wasn't it, Rory? Is it sad to see them out so soon against a big side when and they have performed well in the tournament? It, it, it's, it's a shame that they lost like that, particularly given that, I mean, out of all of the giant killings, I think that was probably about the last one I expected. I think Italy were the safe bet before the, before that kind of round of 16 had even started. I mean, everyone just wrote Austria off from the start and they performed absolutely magnificently. The, the, the reason why it was such a shame was because they genuinely looked in the game. They never looked like losing. When Italy scored in extra time, I, there was a part of me that was genuinely quite, quite surprised. I think it's a shame to see them go. I think obviously it would have been a shame to see Italy go so early after playing genuinely exciting football for a whole tournament. But 
I think both teams deserve it in their own way. And hopefully Italy will go on and actually do something with it. Yeah. Cal, Italy, we always talk about their quality in defending. Uh, it's always been like that. But in this game, they had 74 attacks. Obviously, Spinazzola was a big part of that. How impressed uh, were you with him? Yeah, he he was phenomenal. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure whether or not he got man of the match, but he certainly, um, certainly deserved it if he didn't. Um, yeah, he he was he was spectacular for Italy. Not not a lot more to say, really. Yeah, Andrew. Yeah, I think that's one thing that uh, BBC actually spoke about before the game is how Italy have always been known for you know defend and counter, but this tournament they've actually really have had an emphasis on attacking and. That's one thing that Roberto Mancini's brought in, who I think is a brilliant manager, by the way. Um, and Spinazzola, he's been he's been brilliant the whole tournament. And I think even though um, Italy were a bit shaky in that game, I'd have to disagree with you, Jack. I still think they're a good team. I think they're a big contender. And um, I think I think it'll be a really tight game between them and Belgium on Friday. Yeah, well, this is something that I I was saying that, you know, everyone decided that Italy are back to their best. I think Rory uh, in the group chat called them uh, juggernauts again um, or European giants. Um, But, you know, it wasn't a great performance against a team like Austria. And I know Austria performed well, Dom, but they had to go to extra time and 1-2-1. They could have quite easily lost because that that goal by Arnautovic was very tightly offside, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. I've seen Arnautovic, obviously, at Stoke, put in really good performances like that. And I think I think something's really annoyed him this tournament um, because, obviously, you know, we, we've seen the, the incident which he had against North Macedonia, which was, you know, w- was not brilliant, but you could see he was raging about something. And I think when he's, when he's raging is when he's playing best. Um, but just on Italy, I think... One of the problems that they had is in the group stage, they were afforded quite a lot of space by teams. And I think particularly in the game where Locatelli scored twice, you could see that he had quite a lot of time on the ball and he could pass it out to those wingers who were, were, were running up with, with pace and getting in behind. And I think the way Austria defended in terms of sitting back in, in kind of a low block, you could, you could see that Italy were having trouble with picking them apart and were forcing quite a lot of men upfield and I think I think um, the fullbacks particularly were getting upfield quite a lot and I think that's where Austria had some joy in terms of counter-attacking because Italy were forcing so many men up into the, into the Austrian half that they were actually exposing themselves a little bit at the back and that's particularly a worry when you've got quite a slow defence so I think Austria came into it with a really good game plan Yeah, Cal? Yeah, I think Maybe being a little bit harsh saying that Italy were lucky to get through. Yes, they weren't at their best, but you know they played very well in the group stage, got through quite comfortably, haven't been at their best, but then still beaten Austria. You know, that's one of the things that you, know, you look back over recent years, that's what the best teams get credited for. You're not at your best, but you still get the result. You look at Man United under Ferguson for years. Ferguson made a career off getting a, a good but not elite team to just keep finding a way to win. Now, Italy have got the players to be an elite team. And so even when they're not at the best, Mancini's getting them playing good enough football that they're still getting the results. And, you know, especially, I mean, not I mean, in all, in all kinds of football, especially in tournament football, all you need to do is just get the results. It doesn't matter how you get it. You just need to get it. And as I said, without being at the best, they've still got the result. Yeah. I mean, I, I still think that, 
they they won't win. Uh, now, now a lot of people do, but Gautier, you agree with me, don't you, in, in the thinking of uh, Italy maybe aren't quite as good as they were originally thought to be? Um, yeah, definitely. I think that they're going to lose probably next game against Belgium. Uh, the way Belgium played last night, even though they didn't do a great second half, I think the first half showed that um, they are one of the best teams in the tournament still this year. So I'll, I'll back Belgium against Italy. Yeah. The Bringing Home the Euros podcast. We saw Belgium beat Portugal 1-0 in a very close game. Uh, probably not the most interesting to watch in the first half and even early in the second. But then all of a sudden, Dom, it got really exciting, didn't it? With that Portugal going attack after attack. Yeah, definitely. I think Renato Sanchez was absolutely key to that in terms of, you know, just buzzing about in midfield. He's he's kind of like a really, like a more attacking Kante, um, if that makes sense. But yeah, he, he his runs from midfield were, were incredible. And I think he was key to everything that, that Portugal did. Um, but yeah, it, it turned into a really exciting game in the second half because Portugal were, were pushing up further uh, and more than they did in the first half. And it's kind it's, it's nice to see Portugal attack so much because I think we've seen them be quite quite sort of dogged and defensive in the group stages. So I, I really enjoyed watching them attack. And I think if they did more of it, they probably would have had a better chance in the first half. Um, but obviously that Torgan Hazard goal kind of changed the game. Yeah. Rory, were you glad to see Portugal start to attack a lot more? And, and do you agree that maybe if they were playing like that earlier in the game, it, it was theirs for the taking? Portugal, the way that Portugal have lined up this tournament, they had to play attacking football or it wasn't going to work. You look at that system with four at the back with two really, really attacking wing backs who have been both been playing left wing back slash even left mid well with Guerrero right wing back with Semedo you've got to play with an attacking side and with attacking emphasis for that to work and it's really nice to see that Portugal did that it's a shame that enough of their players just haven't turned up this tournament Ronaldo scored five goals Jot has scored one and has looked disappointing Bruno Fernandes hasn't really been anywhere to be seen I think it's nice to see it's a shame that not more of them have done it well effectively yeah, you've got Ronaldo there and, and you can never you know, discount a team when they've got Ronaldo playing for them. But he doesn't have the players around him right now, does he, Cal? Obviously, uh, you're, a, you're a Liverpool fan. How disappointed have you been with Diogo Jota so far? Well, throughout this tournament. Yeah, Jota's been very poor, but I don't think that's necessarily right to say that Ronaldo doesn't have the players around him. He's got... Bernardo Silva, Bruno Fernandes, Diego Jota, two good um, full-backs bombing forward. Renato Sanchez, um, solid centre-back pairing. They've got the play. I mean, Joao Felix, I mean, I, I forgot he was even in the squad until he came up in the game against Belgium because he, he's done nothing all tournaments. I don't, I don't know if he's actually played. Um, they, they've absolutely got the squad. They've just not turned up. Yeah. Well, this is this is kind of what I mean when I say though that he doesn't have the players around him because he he does in terms of the names, but Bernardo Silva hasn't done anything, Jota hasn't done anything, Fernandez and Felix haven't even been starting. Um, who are four you would say normally world class players. On the other hand, you've got that Belgium side who have, have got really good attackers who've been doing a lot for the past season and so far in the Euros. Andrew, you wanted to say something. Yeah, before you even touched about Yotta, I just wanted I actually want to speak about him. He's been so wasteful the whole tournament. It wasn't just last night. 
last night was a bit of a disaster class for him, and I do think he's a brilliant player. But he, the whole tournament is being wasteful. There was that big incident in the, in the first game where he didn't pass it to Ronaldo, and they had a little bicker at half time or whatever. And and against Germany, I, I guess he set up the goal for Ronaldo, and he was all right in that game. But the whole tournament, I think, has been very wasteful, and it's something that um, he's, he might just be out of form. But I think it's something that he needs to address before going back to Liverpool next season. Bruno. He did start the first two games. He lost his place. They played better when he when he wasn't in the, in the team throughout the tournament. Um, I saw a tweet that I don't necessarily uh, agree with, but I saw a tweet that said, Bruno Fernandes without penalties is Lewis Hamilton without a car. And while it might not be that extreme, right, it's, I, I kind of get it. Like, <laughs> I don't know if Bruno's world-class. But I, I know for Man United he is, and he's got that level... But I'm telling you, I, I do not, I, I really don't know if he's world class. I don't know what he excels at, other than I think he's solid at everything, but I think he's just below. If we're talking about, you know, the bales and stuff being just below, I, th- I, th- I think, I, th- I don't know, if, I think Bruno might be in there for me. And uh, I actually thought last night when he came on, he was poor, and Roy Keane tried to dig out Jao Felix, but I thought he was better than Bruno when he came on. Did anyone else see that uh, Jao Felix uh, criticism from Roy Keane? That was hilarious. Um, Gautier, you you had something to say? Uh, to, I do have a little bit like my, my Man U fan here and talk about Bruno uh, Fernandes. I think that he played a lot of games uh, during the whole season. He played basically all he could play for Man U. So that's the end of the season, end of a long and weird season where players played so many games. And I think that you can be, yeah, fair enough. He's like, he played, what, like 50 games already. Give him a break. He's not turned up this um, this tournament. This is, his re- this is his first big tournament, I think. He wasn't here for the 2018 World Cup. I'm not sure, maybe. I think he wasn't. So, like, if, 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 yeah, if you see like this, just... You know, just give give him some time. Wait for the next World Cup, and maybe it's going to be better. But I think that everything played that uh, is um, it couldn't be the best it could um, could have been, basically. Yeah, without turning it into the Bruno show, uh, Andrew, you you want to counter that? Yeah, I just want to say, like, even for Man United in the high pressure situations, the bigger games, he has struggled all season for Man United as well in the bigger games. His record hasn't been great. I'm not saying he's not world class, by the way. I'm not. I'm not like Twitter, where everyone on Twitter at the minute seems to be on him. I think he's on that weird level where I just don't know whether. For me, you know, being being a world class, it's. I'm not. It's not even just off the tournaments. It's from what I've seen him in Portugal as well. I think he's borderline. What I'm saying is right. Even if he is world class, I still think he streaks behind the likes of De Bruyne. Yeah, I think Andrew's right there. He's. He's in that world-class category, but he's not a game-winner. He's not someone in the big pressure moments that you can turn to. Ronaldo, Messi, they are game-winners. When you need a goal in the 95th minute, you turn to them. Would United do that with Fernandes? They'd give him the ball. Would he produce? Probably not. Yeah. Um, turning to look at the the performance of Belgium um, rather than the, the performance of Portugal. Um, they were brilliant, weren't they, Rory? Especially, I think, um, Lukaku was amazing in the game, holding up the ball so well um, to, to be able to um, prevent Portugal from having opportunities. 
it's it's not the way you expect it's not the way you expect either side to set out. It's certainly not the way that I think anyone expected the game to go. Yeah, I think they were excellent. I think it was always going to be the case that whoever won that game was going to be a really significant favourite for the tournament, particularly given results elsewhere as well. So I think it, it's always that game was always going to be quite telling, but I think it showed both sides' ability to defend pretty reasonably, but particularly Belgium. I mean, Portugal had, what, 14 shots on target or something like that? It's quite impressive to keep a clean sheet against a 14, a 14 shot on target Portugal side. Yeah, and I don't have shots on target, but Portugal had 24 attempts to Belgium's six. So you can see the way the game went after that Torgan Hazard strike, can't you, Cal? Yeah, that obviously completely changed the game. Brilliant moment for Belgium. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not not much to say other than how fantastic a goal it was. Um, is it a person you'd expect a goal to come from, Dom, with you know, a front three of Lukaku and Eden Hazard, his brother, and De Bruyne? Uh, you wouldn't be expecting it from the left wing back, even if he is a bit more attack-minded. Not really, no, but I think the way that those those front players were marked, it, it was probably going to have to come from the likes of Torgan Hazard. Because so much emphasis was being placed on stopping Lukaku, you know, he always, he always had a player marking him, if not two, you know, when he when he was buzzing around the box. So I think that, um, you know, that's that's when players that you don't expect to step up have to step up, and I think Hazard did that. Um, but ju- just on Lukaku, I think I think he was a really a, a really key part to this win, and I think. In the second half, particularly, he showed you know the ability that he has, particularly on the counter attack, when Portugal were trying to when trying to were trying to find an equaliser. And I think if um, Carrasco had been a little more decisive and a little more clinical um, in certain situations, running running back, um, I think they probably would have found a second. I think Lukaku would have found himself on the score sheet. Yeah. Um, leaves Belgium playing Italy next, uh, who we talked about earlier. Um, Gautier, it's going to be a really difficult game for both sides, isn't it? Um, I probably think Belgium can win it, though. How do you feel about that? Um, if Belgium played the way they played in the first half of Portugal, the game, they're going to win it easily. If they played the way they played for the second half of the Portugal game it is going to be a long game extra time penalties in my opinion um, it really depends on if the brain is fear as well I didn't see uh, any update on his uh, ankle injury but for me I, I, I reckon that um, Belgium's going to win still because they're the better side I think um, but it's going to be could really be the first game to see uh, that we see that goes to uh, the penalties yeah yeah uh- Andrew, that Belgium defence, the back three, I think they've got a combined age of 101. It's certainly over 100. Um, very, very experienced back three there. But in the in the last minutes of that Portugal game, I was sat there saying, can Belgium really hold on for another five minutes after they got that extra time? Italy, obviously, we've seen and we talked about earlier, like to attack now uh, so far in this tournament. Uh, they're going to have a really difficult time against the Italian uh, forwards and even wing backs, aren't they? Yeah, of course. I think it's got. I think it's going to be a tough game f- for both sides. I really do. But but speaking about that defence, as I said uh, before, we were recording uh, before this tournament. I genuinely thought Thomas Vermaelen was retired. I, I I had no idea that he was still about. I know that now that he's he's in Japan and. Um, 
Torby's uh, old viral. He's had a fairly poor couple of years for Tottenham, to be honest. For Tongan got uh, binned by Mourinho in favour of Eric Dyer. So this was a defence going into the tournament where I really thought, like, this is, you know, quite evidently it's Belgium's weak point. But um, they defended really well last night. I thought, I thought they were really good. Um, maybe, maybe more tired legs will come in. With a combined age of 101, maybe they'll be more tired at this stage of the tournament. You know, they've only got, well, three, four day, days of rest before that Italy game. I think I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a really tight game. My, my my thing where I think Belgium may edge it is is Insigne. As good as he is, he's he's not the fastest for a winger, and I think that that might fit that might favour Belgium a bit. Um, if if I had to choose who I thought was gonna win the game, I'd edge it to Belgium, but I'd say I'm gonna say. 2-1 in extra time. Yeah, I'm quite interested to hear everyone's prediction for this game, actually. So we'll go round. Cal? I think it's going to be a draw. I think it's going to go all the way to penalties. Um, I think it's it's very difficult to pick which team is going to be in control of the game, but whichever one it is, I just feel like the other's going to match it. Yeah. So, you know, one team might be on it, the other team might not be. They might both be on it and it might be end-to-end, but I just... I think if one team scores, the other's going to reply. I think it's going to go away to penalties. Rory? I'm backing Italy, actually. I think, um, they, as, as, as you said earlier, I've, I've, I said that they're back to being the juggernaut that they were, what was that, 15 years ago, really, when they were that good. I think they are. I think they, they look exceptional. I think one result against Austria, where I don't think they played badly, isn't going to change my view that Italy are going to do really, really well. And I think they've probably got a bit too much quality for Belgium, who we know aren't necessarily that strong a tournament team. So I'm going to say Italy. Yeah. Gautier, I think you've already said um, Belgium. So last, but of course not least, uh, Dom. Um, I think they're two really evenly matched sides, to be honest. I think Italy also have quite a an ageing defence. I think Benucci's 34 and Achebe's 33. If, if Chiellini was on the pitch as well, I think that'd be like 36 or 37. Probably, you know, you might be close to 70 than I think. But, yeah, um, you know, my grandparents are Italian, so I think my heart's going to have to go with Italy. And my head is still a little torn, but, yeah, I'll, I'll say Italy. Okay, so we've we've got a pretty split group there, I think. Andrew, you've got something to say. Yeah, one last thing I wanted to add is uh, De Bruyne and Hazard both went off with niggles last night. So if, if they can't play then I'd have to switch my predictions to Italy. But if they are playing, I'm going to just edge it too on a Belgium. Yeah. Before we leave it, a couple of questions. You mentioned Hazard there. Cal, he did actually look quite good last night. Are we, and he's mentioned how he knows he didn't have a good enough season for Real Madrid. He wants to improve and be the old Eden Hazard. Were there signs of that last night? Yeah, absolutely. I think he definitely showed... Um, some of his former qualities that we know he's capable of. He's got something to prove this tournament. He knows it. He's come out and said it himself. Um, so, yeah, as I said, if he's fit, he could be a game changer against Italy. Yeah. And lastly, Rory, Belgium, back three of a combined age of 101. Um, Hazard is, well, basically the whole team is getting on a bit. Um, if they don't win the Euros this year or the World Cup next year, 
are we going to have to wait a long time to see a crop of players like this from Belgium? I mean, a crop of players like this, yes. It doesn't mean they're not still going to have quality. You've got young players like Tielemans, who's still very early in his progression. I think any team with a midfield that contains Tielemans and De Bruyne, if they have a good enough kind of setup around it, that's going to challenge. I think, yeah, it's really, really good to have experienced defenders. I think it's something that I always really value, and I think teams don't necessarily. I think potentially we're not going to have them as being favourites to win anything, but I still think they can spring a few surprises. The Bringing Home the Euros podcast. Um, we're going to look ahead to England against Germany now. Uh, of course, a really, really exciting game. Um, it's probably the draw that England fans didn't want, but we've got it. And uh, as I say, it does make for an exciting game. So at least there's a silver lining. Um, some weird news come out, uh, Andrew. Looks like Foden and Mount are going to be starting. Um, people are arguing with that one because Mount has been isolating, been training away from the rest of the group. And then the other one is Phil Foden. People are saying he hasn't performed well enough in comparison to you know, how Saka performed uh, to justify that spot in the team. Um, the Foden decision does surprise me, not even in terms of Saka. I know for a fact, I keep on seeing all the German pundits be like, why Sancho not playing? Why Sancho not playing? And literally 10 minutes ago, like uh, BBC released an article and it's Jürgen Klinsmann saying, like, Germany would fear Sancho if he was playing. Like, they rate him so highly over in Germany. Like, it's it, it, they're like I find it weird that, like, has he only had six minutes or something? When, when he came on in the last game, he wasn't on for that long. So for me, the problem isn't even. Ford and starting over Saka, even though I think Saka would deserve it after how he played the last game. It's for why why isn't Sancho playing? But in terms of Mount, doesn't doesn't surprise me as much. I think I think Mount's a workhorse, brilliant player, versatile player because he does. Um, I know he's been away from the team for a week, but zoomed into all the team meetings and, um, and overall, I just think he's a twenty-two. He's a 22-year-old man when people are saying, oh, he won't be fit. He'll be fit. It's He'll it, 100% be fit. 100%. Yeah. But oh. I, I'm just a bit gutted to see uh, Jack Grealish miss out on the team. I'd yeah. like to see us go for it a bit more. Yeah. Cal, do you think that Mason Mount will just be able to drop back into that side like Andrew does and, and like quite a few pundits do as well? Yeah, I don't really see why he wouldn't be able to, because as Andrew said, he's you know, he's twenty two years of, years of age. He should be in you know pretty much peak of physical condition. Okay, you know may, maybe take him five minutes to get back into the rhythm of playing, but you know it's not going to take him longer than that. He's a high quality player. Um, only other thing is if he's coming through the middle, I want to see Sterling drop and Grealish on the left. I doubt it'll happen because Southgate's clearly got something against Grealish. But, you know, our two best players on paper are probably Grealish and Sancho, and they're not even going to be in the team. And I'm just going to leave that there before I get myself all worked up. <laughs> um, I'll pass over to go to instead then. Um, do you think that Grealish should be starting and Sancho as well? We talked about Sancho on the last pod and how much he is feared in Germany. Um, yeah, I think Sancho should play. Uh, I don't know about Grealish. I'm sorry, I'm not that fan of a Grealish. I know all of England is. I'm not really. I I, I see I see his quality. I 100% see his quality, but I think that um, there's a lot of quality players as well. So why why Grealish is so so high rated? I don't know. But 
I think one of them two should start, yes. Um, either uh, I go, I'm rather Sancho maybe, be more than Grealish, but I think one of them two should um, should start, yeah. Yeah. So, so do you think that Sterling is more deserving of a spot than than Jack Grealish? I'm, I'm going to play it dumb, yeah, but who scored you two goals for England? Oh no! Oh no! You can't, you can't, you can't counter that. Really, he he scored the two goals. Uh, Grealish made a pass, yes, hundred percent. But I think that, yeah, I don't know. I'm not hate um, rating Grealish that high. Sorry, guys. Tom, please tell me that you disagree. I I do disagree. I think Gautier has just annoyed all of the gammon in in England with that with that um. <laughs> With that, um, but yeah, I, I do, I do rate Grealish. Of course, I do. I think he's a quality player, and I do think he's des- deserving of a spot. But I'm going to annoy everyone as well because I, I would actually play Sterling in this game because I think you know, if if you play Sterling to his strong suit, which is getting on the end of chances, if you actually instruct him to do that, um, which I'm questioning whether Gareth has actually instructed him to do that considering, you know, the way that he's, you know, Sterling's looked to play. I, I would play him in this game because I think Germany, with, with playing a three at the back, he can get in behind those win-backs. And I think Sterling is a is the kind of player who will get onto the end of chances um, and, and get you a goal. But I, I do agree also that Jack Grealish needs to start. So I would, I would play pretty much the same team that played the Czech Republic, bar Saka on the right, and I'd put Sancho in instead. Yeah. Andrew, about Foden, I I really don't understand why everyone seems to have immediately forgotten about him because he played well in the first couple of games and I I just don't really get why, you know, Saka has a good game and it's all Saka. I mean, look, he made a few good runs, but so does Foden. And and we we've seen that Foden has tried and tested and he's got that quality. Um my honest assessment of that is that I don't think he played well the first couple of games. The first game, he hit the post three minutes in, ghosted for 87 minutes, and then everyone at the end of the game, purely because we didn't do that much else, was like, oh, Foden played well. I, I don't think he did. But at the same time, that's not to diss Foden, brilliant player. And um, I do, obviously, I think he's a better player than Saka overall. But I think as well, people are forgetting with... Phil Ford and he, he, he he's still only is, is he twenty years old? He's he's a very young man. He's, he's you know he's he's gonna have these um spells where he's he's not in form. And for me, what I said going into the tournament is a lot of Forden's games for Man City are off the bench. He's a he's a player that can be brilliant off the bench, and I think he's a player that can be better off the bench than a lot of our other options in that same position. So. For me, I think I wouldn't start him and then I'd look to bring him on 60 minutes in, 70 minutes in and give give him a bit more freedom to dictate play, hopefully. But um, but I don't necessarily think it, people have forgotten about Foden, but I just think you've got to understand the pressures of a game like this on a on a 20-year-old 20 20 kid. And I know Saka's young as well and so is Sancho, but for me, uh, obviously, you know, Sancho's got the experience of playing against those guys. Yeah, I think it's weird because it gets to a point, I think, where you have to say that the age of the player doesn't really matter. If they've got the quality, they've got the quality. I mean, look at Jude Bellingham. He, he performs fantastically for Dortmund, So, and he's 17 years old. So, 
it's a difficult one, uh, but I think we're always a bit cautious as England fans because we've had so many, uh, quote, wonder kids who have uh, turned out to be nothing. But enough on the potential attack force of England. What about the defence, Rory? Um, how would you be lining up against that German side? That's, that's a really difficult question to answer, actually. I think the Germany, they're going to attack. They're going to attack from the flanks. I mean, you're obviously looking at that left flank with Gosens, but you can't really underestimate Kimmich as well. I think you've got to set up. You've got to set up, for, not, not just with the defence. I don't see why you don't set up with Rice and Phillips in this game. I think you're in a lot of danger when you're up against someone like Gundogan Cruz as well in the field who both can create, who both can get forwards. You need to you need to set up with that solid defence because that is what's winning us games. We're not winning games by scoring goals. So you, I think you keep a relatively similar structure, fairly defensive on the right. I know that you'll all hate this, and I've said this throughout the tournament, but I wouldn't mind seeing Kieran Trippier there. He's probably our best defensive right back, and I think that threat down the left He's probably the best person to negate that. I think that would be a really big job for Rhys James, who is always looking to get forward in, in England and a Chelsea shirt. So I think that, I don't see why you change the rest of the defence. I think Stones, Maguire, Pickford's absolutely fine. I'd probably stick to Luke Shaw on the left because we know he's solid defensively. Yeah, on that basis of him being a, a solid defensive fullback um so is Kyle Walker so could you potentially see Trippier at left back to prevent those threats from Germany and then Kyle Walker at right back because we know he's had experience at centre back as well for City I wouldn't mind it um it's it's not what I'd go for but if he picked it I wouldn't be upset about it I'm not one of those people who thinks I I think this is the right team so everything else is wrong um, I'd rather see Trippier at right back because although Carl Walker's good defensively, I'd say that's one thing that Trippier's better at. And I don't think Carl Walker's been necessarily any better than Shaw to deserve his place. I think they've both been pretty reasonable. And I'd rather see Trippier on the side that he's comfortable. Yeah. Cal, we've we've had, you know, five clean sheets in the last five, but only scored four goals. So there is clearly, as Rory said, an emphasis on being able to defend well against at the Germans tomorrow, but is it is does that give rise to the question of should we be playing three at the back? Um, I'm not sure it does because we we've already shown that we can be very solid with the back four. Why change it now? Um, I think yes, obviously you got you know Walker can play on the right hand side in a back three. Um, got a couple of other options on the bench, but we've shown that we can be solid, but still can get forward. We haven't taken our chances when we've had them. Um, it's just about when we move forward, we've got to move quickly. So, I mean, that's potentially the argument for Walker over Trippier, that he can get forward quicker. Um, but I would say definitely, I would definitely start Trippier. I think he's a better all-round player than Walker. Um, he's definitely better defensively. The only thing Walker's got going for him defensively is his pace. When he makes a mistake, he can get back and, and cover. Um, but I'd definitely say sure and Trippier. And then if we need to attack late on, put Walker on because he's going to potentially make those bombing runs, get a few crosses in, you know, get Kane, maybe Calvert-Lewin in the box, you know, but that's, you know, last, last 10 minutes if we need to go and grab a goal late on. Yeah. Dom? I, I think the argument for three at the back is a strong one, to be honest, because I think, I think we're going to get absolutely overrun in midfield. I think Phillips and Rice have been good this tournament, but I'm not entirely sure they're going to be able to deal with the threats of, of, of Gundogan and, and Goretzka running forward and as well, Kroos. And I think we're, we're you know, we, we've praised the, we, we've praised Germany's wing backs as well. 
um, in the group stage. And I think they're going to cause us some issues, especially. Um, and I think that that's going to happen if Rice and Phillips are drawn out of position to, you know, stop them running forward. So I, I would actually play three at the back if, you know, if that's an option um, tomorrow. But if, if we were going four at the back, I think I would go with Trippier too, because I, I agree that I think he's a better defender than Walker and I think Walker as well is is probably going to get drawn out of position and you know he, he's misplaced passes as well this tournament which you can't be doing against a team with really good win backs he likes to get forward yeah certainly an argument for both isn't there Andrew with what Dom's just said there about um the reasons for three at the back and then what Cal said at the end of the day we've kept five clean sheets in the past five playing four yeah 100% um you'll be shocked to hear I, I actually agree I, I wouldn't mind seeing Kieran Trippier right back tomorrow I've been very you know harsh on him in, in the past and I'm not his biggest fan but I do, I do genuinely think he could be the best option tomorrow but you, you're you all going to disagree with me because I feel like you are more cautious I feel like our problem is that we've been overly cautious so why continue to be I, I, I'd want England to go for it like I, I think Calvin Phillips has been bang average since the first game. I, I, I don't start Calvin Phillips. I go Rice and Mount. And then that gives you the freedom to put Jack Grealish in there. And I know that's that that's maybe a risk, but it's tournament football. You need to take risks. You, you, it, that's it. you got 90 minutes. That's it. And do I genuinely think if we go, if we go overly cautious... I just think we'll we'll concede too many chances, but we but we'd limit our strength, which is attack. You know, England we've got great great talent, and we don't know how to use that talent. Um, I can't. I want I want to see us go for it a bit more. But I think in terms of the five at the back argument, I th- I do think if we do decide to go that more cautious route, I, th- I think there's a it's definitely a strong argument for it. Cause I think. Um, going into the tournament, I was pretty sceptical about Tyrone Mings, but I thought first two games he did really well. But I think he did see a vast improvement in um, how we progressed from the defence when we put Harry Maguire in there. So I wouldn't mind having... I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing us go Mings, Stones, Maguire, which I know you're probably thinking maybe put Walker at centre-half, but... Um, I, th- I think there is an argument for five at the back, but honestly, if, if it's me, I go four at the back and I drop Calvin Phillips, <laughs> bring in Mason Mount, because they're both players in eight anyway. And then that gives you maybe the freedom to put Jack Grealish in there. Well, it's certainly going to be one to watch. Uh, I'm sure we're all looking forward to it. The Bringing Home the Euros podcast. Uh, just before we leave that, uh, we're going to do predictions um, for the game. Uh, obviously, uh, we'll have some different decisions here, I think. Cal mentioned it last time. Uh, it's a difference between head and heart, isn't it? So uh, we'll we'll go straight to you again, Cal, see if you've changed your mind. No, I'm still going with the draw. I'm going to, I think it's going to be an even game. England going to struggle to break them down, but equally I think they're going to struggle to break us down. Um, either nil-nil or one-all after 90. I think it probably will go all the way to pens. Yeah. Rory? As much as it's a nice thought to think that England will win, I mean, we have won four of our last five games, 1-0. I can't say it this time. I think Germany are quite good. I'm backing a Germany 1-0 win and Havertz to score, just to rub it in. Um. Yeah, I agree. I think we're going to lose. Um, 
you know, I, I'm a bit of a pessimist as well. Um, so you, you were probably expecting this from me, but I think Germany are going to win 2 0, and I think Havertz is going to score as well. The other one is going to come from one of the wing backs. Right. Okay. Go, Chair. No, I think you have your chances. You have your yeah, chances. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two one England uh, extra time. Okay, Andrew. Head or heart. All right, I'm going head. One one. England are gonna play well. We're gonna surprise people. One one. We're gonna miss an agonising chance. Purely for me, it'll probably be Harry Kane, so he'll get the brunt of the English media for the next three months. And then it'll finish 1-1 and Germany will win on Pence. Okay. Uh, I'm going to be positive. And uh, as, as I have been about England for the whole pod, and I'm going to say England England are going to win this one. Then we've got an easy game, then another easy game, I think, depending on how Denmark play. Um, and, and England will be in the finals if, if we do win tomorrow. The Bringing Home the Euros podcast. It's now time for the Euros quiz. Uh, good one today. We're going to be doing uh, the 10 Euros winners. There have been 15 uh, European Championships and 10 winners, and I'm going to ask you to name them. Uh, teams are Gautier and Cal against Andrew, Dom and Rory. Uh, Cal, you're representing me, so I'm not going to be biased, but I hope you do well. Uh, and you won last time, so you can choose whether you want to go first or second. Um, I think probably go first. First, okay, go for it. Um, well, Portugal in the last one, so go Portugal. Okay, Spain. Then, Whoa. yeah, come on. We'll take Spain. Spain was said first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, gonna go Greece. I think two thousand four. Yeah, Greece. Yeah, Denmark. Denmark. Correct. Um, France. France. I was going to say France must have won it. France 2000, yeah. There you are, France. Would have been awful if you didn't get that one. Anyone said Germany? No. Germany. Yep. Italy must have won it at some point, mustn't they? I don't think. Yeah. Uh, yeah? Go on in. Yeah, go on, Italy. <laughs> I said I wasn't going to be biased and basically <laughs> said yes. <laughs> um, okay. Dom, Rory, Andrew. How many left? Three left. I'm trying uh, to think who might have done. Um, Czechoslovakia. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, think, I was trying to think the countries that. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Did he say? Did he say? He said Czechoslovakia. Oh. Um, Dylan, maybe? I was about to say Netherlands. Should we go with that? Yeah, put like growth time in like the 80s or 60s. Or, uh, hopefully. Yeah, I, th- I think we I think we go with Netherlands. Yeah, so, Netherlands. Okay. One more, guys. Soviet Union. Oh, well, that was boring. <laughs> <laughs> All 10. Uh, that makes it 4-3 now because uh, I like to make the tally go higher rather than just keep it low. So 4-3 now on the score sheet. Um, hopefully, Team Jack slash Cal can... Uh, can make it four all next time out. Hopefully not. <laughs> uh, that's the end of today's pod, but thanks for listening and we'll catch up with you soon. Make sure to keep an eye on our Facebook page to know when the next episode is coming out. The Bringing Home the Euros podcast, live on Anchor and Spotify.